Welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and each week you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. At the end of each episode we'll send you away with three practical tips. It's perfect for parents, carers and professionals working with children. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read our wide range of free resources on the My Family Coach website. I'm joined today by Misha Jane Coleman-Jones. Misha is a senior trainer for Team Teach and director of the Happy Lighthouse, a training and consultancy company which is inspired by Lilia's Lighthouses, created in memory of her autistic sister who sadly died following treatment for leukaemia in 2019. Misha's previous roles include specialist provision leader and head of autism research and development. And this is the first part of a two-part episode about neurodiversity into neuroharmony. Enjoy the episode. Morning, Misha. How are you? Morning. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm excited because I'm going to go on holiday later, but more excited to talk to you. <laughs> more excited. More excited. It's true. It's true. I have been, I've heard really great things about your experience, particularly with um, the topic that we're talking about today. So I'm genuinely really excited to to hear from you about this topic. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, moving from neurodiversity to neuroharmony. And Mm -hmm. we're going to be focusing in and around parents, carers and professionals um, within that topic. So with that in mind, do you mind just recommending a book on the topic? Oh, well, I found this book uh, really just randomly doing some shopping in a supermarket. And it caught my eye because in the title, it actually has my name. (laughs) So it's called it's called Misha Makes Friends and it's written by Tom Percival. And I looked at it and obviously picked it up and as I was reading it I thought oh my goodness this book is actually describing younger me and and does Tom know who I am and has he based this character (laughs) on me (laughs) and my account of childhood but this book actually doesn't outright say it's about neurodiversity there's a review on the back that says that it celebrates diversity but actually it's all about acceptance and inclusion um, and, and differences in how people communicate and interact. And I just think it's so lovely. And I think that it could be used by um, children themselves so that they've got something to relate to. I think um, families will love it. I think they'll love reading it. Some might be like me and think, hang on, this, this is describing the things that I faced when I was younger, but also for professionals, I would say, to have an understanding of the child perspective. So, yeah, I think it's it, and, and the illustrations are beautiful. Yeah, I, we talked about this off air and I was like, oh, I recognise the illustrations, although I couldn't remember the word illustration, uh, which is not great for a podcast. But um, he wrote also a book called Ruby's Worry, which I think he's probably most famous for. And it's used a lot in schools that I go into. And it um, brings up the metaphor of Ruby having almost some anxieties, but it's kind of like a colour and different people have different colours related to their worries. Uh, yeah, it's lovely, really nice metaphors, but so easy to relate to those that are having difficulties with um, anxiety. So, yeah, Tom Percival, brilliant um, artist. And well, I don't know if he illustrates it, but he certainly obviously writes the words. Um, but, yeah, really helpful, isn't it, to have something through the eyes 
of someone yeah. as opposed to us you know giving instructions on on how to do everything yeah. so that's that's a really great starting point and I was saying to you off air what I often do on the podcast is forget to do a definition of what we're talking about right at the start so I'm determined that I ask you straight away <laughs> what is neurodiversity Misha tell us all it's a really good question because I have seen and heard so many different interpretations of what neurodiversity means I think what I have seen is many people use it to describe a collection of of differences including autism ADHD dyslexia dyspraxia but unfortunately what I also see is people use the term neurotypical Mm. I think there's a real dilemma that if we keep using that term we keep saying that there is one normal way of being and thinking and then anything that sits outside of that will fall under neurodiversity but actually my whole opinion changed when I met Dr Deborah Cosley and she has done some amazing work around girls and autism um, and participatory research which I think is really interesting in fact I stalked her because (laughs) I moved to Nottingham And I didn't really have any friends and I thought I need to find someone who has similar interests. And in our conversation, she said, you know, the original concept of neurodiversity means everyone, a bit like biodiversity. Um, So everybody sits in there and actually differences in the way we think and we communicate. You know, that's just that's just the variation in the human brain. And that's the norm. And, and, And that's, you know, kind of my stance on neurodiversity. It is broad because, you know, in the industry that I work in, crossing education, care, working with parents, carers as well, you do hear lots of different variations of it. And I hear in training sometimes um, people talking about being neurotypical and that that phrase kind of popping out a bit. Mm -hmm. I wondered because you talked about neuroharmony. Um, Mm -hmm. as the topic title and it's not often when I do the podcast and I'm like I'm not really quite sure what neuroharmony is I think I've got a good idea but let's define that as well just really for my benefit so again this (laughs) it's like I've got no original thought Um, (laughs) (laughs) there are no no original thoughts okay (laughs) this is another concept that I heard and just absolutely loved and wanted to adopt so Um, This came from Dr. Peter Vermeulen. Um, I hope I get to meet him one day because I think he's brilliant. Are you going to stalk him as well? Um, um, This is my plug and I'm hoping he's listening. (laughs) (laughs) So he's, you know, he talks about neurodiversity and okay, that's great as a first step because we are now celebrating diversity and and that's brilliant. We're celebrating diverse ways of thinking. And he said, actually, the next step is neuroharmony, because rather than saying, "Okay, we are um, society and we recognise that you are different and we will make accommodations so that you can be part of our society. Neuroharmony goes, "Okay, you um, you're different or you think differently. And actually, you have something to contribute that makes this society better for everybody. Mm. And, and I just love that. And he talked about people being like musical notes and, and actually if you bring them together and you harmonise them, you make a great piece of music. And I normally I find concepts like that really abstract and hard to understand. But I just loved the idea of that. And 
and the idea that everybody has something to contribute. That is lovely. That is a really nice metaphor. Um, Historically, I've been an English teacher and I still am. So I love a metaphor to describe anything. And I'm like, right, taking that one, remembering that one, because that's a really, it's a beautiful image, isn't it? And actually, if we can be in harmony together as a society and accept and include everyone, life would be a bit nicer, wouldn't it? I just think, if you think about where we've come from, this journey of, understanding and awareness and and it's been better than it has ever been before why is it that we still have the same bleak statistics when it comes to employability mental health and being able to remain in education so our understanding awareness is better but for some reason these people these groups of people still stand to lose and actually I think if we keep focusing on what people can't do we're never going to change those statistics so I think actually you know let's try changing things let's talk about what people can do what you know how they can contribute and and I think we've already mentioned the word inclusion and inclusive a lot already and I always say you know you can't say you're inclusive you know I think about schools as well you know you can't say you're inclusive just because you have children who have a special educational need Mm. in your cohort you you know you are inclusive when those children can also contribute to make um, the school a better place or to have their voice heard and and I think the work that uh, Rebecca Wood does would would support that too and she talks about inclusive education Um, so yeah it's really interesting. Yeah it's a really interesting area and I know I certainly work with some settings that really struggle with that definition of inclusion mm-hmm. that it's kind of we have someone in in the class we have someone in the setting so we've done it <laughs> you know we've we've yeah. reached our, our goal mm-hmm. and actually it goes so much further than that and I think there's so much more that that we can do but I wondered if you could tell us Misha just a bit about your experience and the topic because I think that would be really helpful for the listeners to find out a bit more about that. Yeah, I, I took a deep breath in then because I'm just thinking, where do I start with it? <laughs> I know Not that. from when you were born, it's quite a short book. <laughs> well, no, but I, you know, I'm thinking about this book, Misha Makes Friends, and why did I think that describes younger me? And when I was in school, I was told I had semantic pragmatic disorder, and I strongly suspect that many girls received that diagnosis because maybe they didn't understand autism in girls very well at that point mm-hmm. um sort of I had all the difficulties in language and interaction but I wasn't obsessed with trains and cars so my experience of education and certainly early employment is oh, I just kept finding certain things difficult and I, and I didn't know why and I was exhausted and definitely did not carry the confidence that I think I have now. Um, in fact, some of my oldest colleagues who I keep in contact with will, call, you know, sort of laugh about the fact that I did cry a lot. I, mean, I laugh about it too. I was always kind of weepy and why are things so hard? And I didn't understand. Um, and in my uh, personal life, I have many siblings. <laughs> I have five sisters and two brothers. And and three of those siblings have an official diagnosis of autism, although their presentation is quite different Mm. from one another. It was my 
sister Lilia, who when she was going through the autism assessment, I strongly, I didn't think she was autistic. I thought she was quite demand avoidant and, and stubborn at times and very clever and quite anxious, but I just didn't understand autism in girls and women or different presentations of autism at mm. that point. Anyway, Lilia did get her diagnosis of autism. And there's a 16 year age gap between us, right? But we were very close. Mm. And I thought, I am the world's worst big sister, you know, and I went on this journey of, you know, how did I get it wrong? And it was on that journey, I realised the whole world had it wrong. And at that point, I was teaching in a specialist school, I had a whole school responsibility for autism provision. And I felt it was my role to sort of talk about what autistic people found difficult, like Mm -hmm. what was the barriers and what could we do to break down those barriers, right? But still, without any bad intention, that was very deficit thinking. Mm. One day on on a family walk, Lilia said to me, you know, we were talking about my dad and my my brother and my family. And I said, hey, do you think uh, dad is autistic too? And Lilia said, well, that's not fair. I want to be the only autistic one in the family. (laughs) I was like, wow. You know, I hadn't really thought that Lilia might view being autistic as a positive trait. Mm. And that really started my journey of the celebration aspect of differences like autism. Um, And then I started to look at ADHD and actually what are the superpowers of having ADHD? What are the superpowers of being dyslexic? My my partner has a diagnosis of dyslexia and he therefore, you know, he thinks, well, that means that I can't read very well. But actually, he's the quickest problem solver I have ever met. He's so good at it. And how great would it be if actually people introduce themselves by saying, I'm dyslexic and that means I'm really good at problem solving so it's just been a sort of ongoing journey where my personal and professional life have have sort of come together and quite recently I've visited a a pupil referral unit for primary aged Mm. kids and I went in to talk about neurodiversity as an assembly and what broke my heart was that the children that were sat in front of me some of them have been excluded two, three, four times. There was a, a young girl who, it was her seventh school. Mm. And the prep I had before going in was, your assembly probably won't last longer than 10 minutes, but that's fine. It's just kind of the attention span of the children. We had to be stopped from talking because we ran 10 minutes into their lunchtime because they just loved the fact that someone was talking about Mm. neurodiversity and they were suddenly talking about what that means for them and Mm -hmm. what it is that they feel that other people don't understand about the way that they think. Yeah, I mean, I've worked in uh, pupil referral units and and led in them. And we always used to say, it's funny, when you take children young people to the cinema um the behavior is very good and they are they have a surprisingly long attention span so (laughs) it really does depend (laughs) not trying to be political at all (laughs) (laughs) 
it does depend doesn't it what what yeah. we're putting in front of people but but linking that back to deficit thinking mm-hmm. so we might then make assumptions about people's attention spans based mm-hmm. on maybe it might not be high interest some of the things that that we, we do in schools or if we're doing activities at home it might not be you know high interest so I think that's interesting isn't it from your you know experience there that deficit thinking is there you know across the board isn't it yeah um, my my son is actually going through an assessment for ADHD at the moment and I've been through this my own battle of you know does he need this diagnosis um, can he just be alfie you know can that be the most important label that he has but I guess in an ideal world we wouldn't need to go through these assessments. We wouldn't need to have a label of I have ADHD. You know, it would be I am healthy and I am great at these things and I need a little bit of support in these areas. But he's coming up against some difficulties in different contexts, so school, club, gym. Mm. And one of the issues, for example, is Alfie is getting into trouble for what adults call back chatting. Mm -hmm. And what Alfie will say is having a conversation. (laughs) And he's such a busybody and he needs to move to think. That's when he does his best thinking, when when he's moving around. And in the end, I've decided, well, actually, I think I'm going to to go through with it because, you know, maybe he doesn't have ADHD and and that's fine too. Um, But I'm already anticipating that he might come up against some difficulties in secondary school. Yeah. And so what can I do now to try and support him? And if it's the case that he does, then the journey I want Alfie to go on is understanding himself and self-advocacy. And I think that if I can empower him now, then just like his Auntie Lilia, I hope he sees it as a real positive characteristic, as a real superpower. And he doesn't, you know, end up believing that he is just naughty, which is historical isn't it yeah yeah and it's a it's a label that's pretty hard to to shake when you you know transition to to a new setting I think based on that I went through my dyslexia diagnosis I've talked about it on the podcast before aged 40 I'm just trying to get that right age 40 um and all I this is going to make you laugh but all I could focus on when I did the dyslexia test was that when she gave the results at the end I was devastated not by the dyslexia diagnosis I was like yeah sure I pretty much knew that otherwise I wouldn't have put myself through three hours of testing which is awful was that I was just average at most things like not even above average I was literally average but your your whole perspective and what you're talking about on this podcast around you know parents carers professionals listening about focusing on the strength we sometimes need to take our own advice don't we for a parent carer professional because I literally I was devastated it's too strong I'm you know saying it for comic effect but I was I was a bit gutted I was like oh my god I'm I'm actually just average at most but, things but that <laughs> is limited to, to what they were assessing right yeah that's true so yeah. if we got someone to kind of assess us on our strengths I mean well, I'm, I'm, that with... my dog. I'm really good at that <laughs> <laughs> really hesitantly about that but it just even sort of the wording of some labels it's, it's like when I think about attention deficit so I have a formal diagnosis of autism and that okay. that came in part of the journey of understanding my sister I kind of went oh okay I get it and and 
she wanted me to um, go through the assessment because in her mind we could become famous autistic sisters and we would blog and vlog together and, and she was excited about that. Um, I actually relate incredibly well with women who give accounts of their experiences of being both autistic and having ADHD, which I feel mm. is like this real dilemma. Um, but when I think back to one of my previous roles, working in a school in a, a senior leadership role, I used to edit the school website, watch something on Netflix, and I quite liked playing games as well. And so I was doing three things at once, right? But without sounding too cocky, I think I did a good job of the things that I was <laughs> doing. So you can multitask, yeah, yeah. Is it attention deficit? Because I'm giving an awful lot of my attention to the things. But quite seriously, if you asked me to do one thing and one thing only, I think I would explode. So if I just had to focus on the website and I didn't have what I love calling side quests going on, mm. I don't think I could do as good a job. And then I think about what do we ask children to do in the classroom? Often we say, do one thing and, and take your time with it. But if that was me, I, I, I'd be shaking. I'd be wanting to do something. So I think that we need to look at, for those children, how do we give them things they can do at the same time? So if they're listening to something, can we doodle, you know, whatever it is, because if we don't give it to them, they'll find it for themselves. And when they find it for themselves, that seems to be when trouble happens or, you know, people come into disagreement. So... I was thinking as well around, you know, some of those signs that you were mentioning around, you know, someone maybe struggling with, with focus and or being very good at split focus, but not being able to focus on one thing. Think mm-hmm. about parents carers, professionals listening and maybe mm-hmm. what some of the signs might be with with I know neurodiversity is really broad uh-huh. broadly speaking what what kind of things might someone notice at, at home where maybe they're seeing some sort of diversity I think if I think with anything if there's if I just say like an error so like I say I ask Alfred to do something and he doesn't do it right I mean we're not perfect human beings and I don't always have you know a big window of tolerance each day you know it depends whether I've had a coffee or not or how much sleep <laughs> I've had um, but just taking a moment to go instead of going he hasn't done it and therefore I'm you know I'm feeling cross about the fact and he should have just done it what I've started to do is go why didn't he understand what I asked him to do so was it what I said and how I said it was it because actually his focus, he was absorbed in something like his game and I hadn't first stopped him and, and asked him to focus first before saying something. What I've discovered recently is that um, he responds much better if I write it down and put it next to him. Mm. If I rush something, if I say something quickly, like quick, need to get your shoes on, we need to go. He, he, his whole energy just goes Woof, and he's panicky. But if I say it in a different way, then we don't have the same, I don't know, same anxieties. So Mm. it's just that there were lots of things that maybe I wanted Alfie to do and he wasn't doing. And then I was becoming frustrated. So why didn't he understand that? So I guess it's in that communication interaction, wherever you might see like an error, like just thinking about 
you know what why is that you know was it was it the way I communicated something but it's really hard because when you're at home and you don't have the same I don't know the same level of demands I guess when you when you're at school mm. but in like what you say cinema classroom you know very different situations and and the demand levels might be different too so I think sometimes they have more opportunities to see when something isn't quite it's not that it's not quite right but different that was part one of a two-part episode watch out on the my family coach website for the second part of the episode you've been listening to the my family coach podcast thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behavior remember to subscribe to listen to all our episodes and there's heaps more helpful support for all your parenting needs on the my family coach website thanks again and i'll see you next time